I'd like to ask you to take the Word of God and turn with us to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7 this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 7. <clears throat> Very familiar passage there that we'll read. Some other verses we'll talk about this morning as we uh, move through the lesson. If you would look down to verse 14. I want to give you a little background on this. Uh, Solomon and the people of God had just finished rebuilding uh, the temple. Uh, they have had uh, sacrifices and a feast there on the feast day. Uh, they've come together and uh, God comes to Solomon and he speaks to Solomon. And then after he speaks to Solomon, uh, he shares with him these thoughts about what he wants from his people. And I think that every time that we gather in his house, we need to know what God wants from his people. Amen. And this is what God says to Solomon to tell the people. He says in verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Now, Father, as we come before your precious throne of grace, I want to say thank you, Lord. Father, you have been so good to us. And Father, we know that there are things in our life that you have done for us that already, Lord, we do not even know about. But Father, one day will be revealed unto us. Father, the safety in the, our journey here to the house of God today, Lord, you gave us that. And, and Father, we didn't even think about it as we traveled over the road. But Lord, we're praising you for that today. I praise you, Father, for the rain that we have outside and, and, Father, for this group of people that have come, Lord, to worship in your house today. And I pray, Father, that truly that is what we do. We gather together here today without preconceived notions, without other thoughts in our minds, but, Father, only here to worship thee in spirit and in truth. Father, to lift you up and to, Lord, allow this church to be the church, Lord, that you desire it to be. Father, that souls might be saved. Lord, that we in our own individual lives can grow and be the Christian, Lord, that you want us to be strong for you, Lord. And then, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity now that you've given me to stand behind this sacred desk once again. And, Father, break forth a portion of your word, Lord, the bread of life, and share it with these folks. And I pray, Father, that you'll undergird me, strengthen me, strengthen my thoughts, my mind, and my body, Father, that I might be able to stand here and do thy will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated today. How many of y'all know we have revival services coming up? Raise your hand. All right, about half of the people raised their hands. So get your bulletin and read your bulletin because <laughs> the announcement is in there. Uh, we do have revival services coming up. But I'm the type of preacher and pastor that I don't want, just want us to have revival services. Amen? I want us to have revival. Amen. And if we have revival, that means we're doing what God wants us to do. 
And I believe that every single day of our lives, every Christian needs reviving on a daily basis. We come in contact with the devil and his demonic forces on a daily basis. We, we fight against those things. We, we try our best to trust in the Lord and to do the things that he wants us to do throughout that day. But at the end of that day, will you confirm with me, if you're just like me, that sometimes the devil defeats us in that day? And we struggle, do we not? We struggle sometimes to get up that next morning and to, to face God and to face the world and, and do those things all over again because we know the devil is right there to fight us again. But dear friend of mine, as Pastor was talking about this morning in his Sunday school lesson, remember this, that we are to have faith. Amen? God tells us that faith of a grain of a mustard seed, if we just have that small amount, and the mustard seed that he was talking about was not the mustard seed ladies and men that we use in our, in our canning and we use there from the spice cabinet that we have there in our homes. Those are little balls of things. The, the grain of mustard seed that he was speaking about was about the size of a pinhead. And so that's just a smaller amount of a mustard seed grain than we could even think about. Just a minuscule amount of faith is all he's actually asking us for. And we could say to that mountain to be removed and the mountain would be gone from us. And so I really believe today that every single one of us need that reviving on a daily basis. Now, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of this. What needs to happen for revival to break out? Now, between now and the time that our revival services start, I'm going to be speaking on Sunday mornings about revival. On Sunday nights, I would love for every one of you to gather back here. And at the end of the service, we're going to gather around the altar and we're going to pray for revival for every Sunday from now forward until that time. And I encourage you to come. And I encourage you at home to be praying for revival. Be praying for our church. Be praying for the speaker, Matthew, and uh, pray for all the needs of our church because, listen, dear friends, as God wills it in his life, as God wills it in our lives, each and every one of us need to be at that thought and at that mindset of doing what God has laid on our hearts and what he's pushed us to do and led us to do. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 there's been so many messages preached off of it, revival messages and others as well. So I thought about this morning preaching this lesson off of this, but I, I want, before we get into this, as a way of an introduction to tell you what we need to do as we prepare for revival. There's ten things I've jotted down here that I believe that I think God would agree with us with on things that we need to do to prepare for revival now, these are things individually that we need to do and things as a church that we need to do as well. And all these things can basically come from the foundation of chapter 7 and verse 14. First of all, I want us to make sure that we prepare our hearts and for each and everything that's going to happen during revival. I believe that God gives us some scriptural tools that we can use to make sure that we are prepared when revival services come. Number one, we need to make sure that we view ourselves as God would look at you. When you get up in the morning and you go and you look in that mirror 
and you begin to brush your hair and brush your teeth and do all the things that we do as men and women in front of those mirrors and things, we need to make sure that we look at ourselves the way that God looks at us. They say, preacher, how does God look at us? Well, if we're saved, God looks at us as a child of God, a person who has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We find there in Romans chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, he talks to us about the justification that Christ has brought into our lives, that we have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciled unto God by those things. We need to look at ourselves the way that God looks at us. And I think sometimes we look at ourselves the way the world looks at us. We try to make sure that we look good for the world to see us, but what about making ourselves look right for God to see us? Amen? So that's the first thing we need to do today as we prepare for revival. Secondly, I believe that we need to determine that we will pursue a sweeping change in our life. We need to make sure that there is going to be a change. You see, revival comes because we are being revived in our heart and our spirit. And that means that there are things in our life that needs changing. And as we begin to look at those things and look at ourselves the way that God sees us, we then see those things that need to be changed. And we need then to, to push towards that. I mean to work as hard as we can to make those changes in our lives. You know, when you first get saved, and how the blessing it is that you're saved and you're, you're, you're so excited about being saved. But immediately God begins to reveal unto you things that you need to do to change in your life. Things that you say, things the way you dress, things the way you live your life, things that come up in your life, even sometimes things that you eat and drink. Because honestly, dear friends, when a person gets saved, you do not immediately quit sinning, do you? There's still sins in our life that we commit. And there are things that need to be changed through that life. In Psalm 42 and verse 1, he says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. We need to make sure that in our life these changes are working towards something that's going to be good for us and for our church. We need to determine, and as we determine, we need to go after that thing as hard as that, as that heart would pant after that water to try to find it. Number three, as we prepare for revival, we need to put ourselves in the way of blessing. Put ourselves in the way of blessing. Preacher, what do you mean? Well, we need to be in the place where we are most likely to be blessed. In other words, we need to make sure that in our daily life and the daily walk that we have, that we do everything we can to make sure that we're in a position where God can bless us. I remember many, many years ago I was laying in the bed in my dormitory room when I was in college, and I was laying there thinking about uh, what God tells us about being available to Him. And I was thinking to myself, you know, there's so many times that God wants to use us but God cannot use us because we are not in a position for God to use us. God still wants to use us, but we've not made ourselves available to Him. He's always made Himself available to us, but we have not made ourselves available to Him. So in other words, we've not put ourselves in a place where we can be blessed. We go places and do things that sometimes we shouldn't do. 
We say things sometimes we should not say. And how can God bless us when we're in those times, friend? So if revival is going to happen in our church and with each of one of us, we need to make sure we put ourselves in a place where we can be blessed. Amen. Number four, we need to make sure we do this especially. We need to do a thorough job in repenting. Don't wait till revival services to come uh, before you come to the altar and get things right with God. Start now. Amen? I mean, you know what's in your life that's wrong. You know the things that the devil is pushing against you with, the things he's leading you into. Make sure, dear friend, that you get those things right now. Don't wait till revival comes. I remember standing in the church house before I got saved. Preacher would preach a hard message, and I'd want to come to the altar so bad, but I'd get a hold of that uh, rung right here of that uh, pew, and I'd grab that thing as hard as I could. I would dig my nails into the wood as, as deep as I could because I did not want to go. I wanted to go, but my flesh was saying, No, don't go. Go next Sunday. Go next Sunday. Go next Sunday. And I went for over a year that way, with the devil saying to me, go next Sunday, go next Sunday. And finally I decided that one Sunday, I'm not going to wait another Sunday. Today is the day of salvation, friend. And so I wanted to go, and I did. I made that decision. And I think we need to make a decision, dear friends, in our lives not to wait. We need to repent today. You know, what did John the Baptist come and preach? He was preaching repentance, wasn't he? And that's exactly what preachers need to be preaching today. We need to be preaching repentance. You see, as uh, we heard even this morning in the Sunday school lesson, we've gotten so soft in our world today. We've gotten so acceptable of sins, the things in our world that God says is sin. We have began to accept those things, not just in our world, but now we have accepted those things in our churches and across our religious organizations, our colleges, those colleges that once stood strong and fundamental. Uh, now they stand very weak anymore on any issue. And it's so sad today because some of these places were there in my youth where I would think that if, if God would ever use me that I would want to go to that place and have that foundational teaching given to me. And not anymore. We need to put ourselves in the way of blessing. We need to do a thorough job repenting. Number five, we need to make restitution whenever possible. A few Sundays ago, I preached a message here about forgiveness. And that's been weighing on my heart ever since then. Because, dear friends, you and I, we, we know when we do wrong. We know when we've wronged somebody and when someone has wronged us. And if someone has wronged you and you're still having a problem with that, go to that person. Amen? And speak to that person. If you've done something wrong to someone, make restitution for that. Get it right with God. Put it under the blood, dear friend, so the devil don't keep bringing it back up over and over. We need to, if you've got a debt, pay it, friend. Number six, we need to bring our life into accordance with the Bible. This blessed book right here. Cover to cover. Page after page after page. God gives us warnings. He gives us truth. He gives us leadership. He gives us direction. This is our road map, if you will. 
But it's more than just a road map, dear friends. It is something more than that because a road map you see with your eyes and you get a, a form or a sense of direction. But God doesn't just give us that direction. He tells us where we're going to be when we get there and what we're going to be when we get there. And He gives us the way to change throughout that, that time that when we get there, we are what God wants us to be. So we need to make sure we bring our lives in accordance to this blessed book. If God says something in this book that we are to do or not to do, then we do it or do not do it. Amen? And then we also, number seven, we want to make sure that we deliberately, and that's very important that you understand that word, that we deliberately narrow our interest as we seek revival. What are you most interested in in this world? Is it something that takes you away from church? I mean, you know, sometimes it could be simple as watching TV or watching a movie. It could be as simple as something that else that takes you away. Maybe it's a favorite food, and the only time you can get that favorite food is on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and you say, well, I'm going to go to that restaurant because that's the only time they serve that, and you miss church. Listen, dear friends, we've got to get to a point in our lives where God is the most important thing in our life, not our food, not our activities, not the things that we do, not even the friends that we hang around with, dear friends. It ought to be the fact that God is always the most important in our lives. Deliberately do this. Put our interest back in God as we seek revival. And then number eight, we need to make sure that we restart personal devotions. You, pray, you say, preacher, I've never stopped. Well, then keep on doing it then, amen? Make sure you have those personal devotions in your own life. Preacher, what is that? Well, it's taking the Word of God and studying the Word of God. And doing it not just necessarily so that you can teach a lesson or that you can do something else, but take those things that you're reading in the Word of God and apply those to your life. Let God, through His Holy Spirit, speak to you through the Bible. When I take my Bible and I begin opening it up and I begin studying for a message, I began reading different passages all across the Word of God. And, and, and as God lays my, my attention to one of those passages, I begin to build on that. And then I begin to search out other scriptures that would support those things that God says in His Word there. And, and it is a, a blessing to me. But not only that, it brings me peace in my heart. And every single time I sit down to read the Word of God, even when I'm not studying for a message, just sitting there reading for my personal belief and my personal understanding, it gives me blessing and it brings peace to my heart. Wow. This is a powerful book. Because it's not just a book. This is the Word of God, dear friends. And it is alive, dear friend. The pages, the, the words on these pages are alive today. I was telling someone the other day, I can't remember now who it was, but uh, when I read any book or anything, I picture myself inside that book. I picture myself as a character in that book, you know. I might be the villain, you know, or I might be the hero. I, I might be one of the other characters in the book, but I picture myself in that book, and I get enveloped in that book, and I enjoy reading it then. And then I learn more from that book than anything. You know what? I do the same thing when I read this blessed book. I put myself in there when, when I see Solomon sitting there on the throne. I find myself standing there around watching Solomon do these things and saying these things that he says. 
When I see Jesus hanging up on the cross there, I can hear Him just as verbally as I'm speaking to you right now. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I hear the cries in the the crowd, the cries of His mother, as she's thinking about her son up on the cross, doing exactly what He was brought here to do. I think of the fact as He looked down from the cross, and He looked to John, and He said, Behold thy mother. Now I think of these things, friends, because I've put myself in this place. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to restart those personal devotions and get in the book. And get in the book and stay in the book, friends. Set a, set a time for prayer. Set a time for Bible reading. And then number nine, we need to make sure that we become a witness, but not just a witness. We need to do it openly, dear friends. I mean, not just necessarily writing a letter to someone or, or laying a gospel tract down the table. That's a great witness and it's a great way to soul win. But we need to get farther and deeper than that. We need to open up our lips and speak with our mouth and let people know that we're saved and we want them to be saved as well. Amen. And number 10, we need to make sure we have an expected faith in God. An expected faith in God. God expects us to have faith in Him. When we get saved, we apply faith because we cannot be saved without faith, friend. And so we apply that faith and God expects faith from us in our entire lives. And what we must do is every single day and every single time that you pray, I'm asking you to pray believing already that God's going to bring revival into the house of God. Believe it. Say, God, thank you for bringing revival to Calvary Independent Baptist Church. God, thank you for bringing revival to that that pastor that stands up there. Thank you for bringing revival to those Sunday school teachers. Thank you for bringing revival to those Wednesday night teachers. God, thank you for bringing revival to this church. And most of all, God, thank you for bringing revival to me. Because we need it. Our world is in a terrible situation I mean, the things that have happened in our world here recently. Our nation's in trouble. Our nation's been in trouble for many years now. Uh, There is unbelievable, immoral behavior. I mean, I never dreamed that we would live in a day when the immorality in our world would be something that is more present now than the moralistic values and principles of God and His Bible. Never believed it. We have unsatisfied materialistic appetites. Our appetites get and grow bigger and bigger for more worldly things and more worldly pleasures. And and the more they grow for one thing, you get that and you grow and want something else. It's like our, our appetite, the flesh, it never gets enough. It just keeps wanting more and more. My son uh, here Oh, I guess it was last year, year before last, he, he bought a couple of uh, German Shepherd puppies. And those puppies, he would bring them in the house, put uh, a separate dog bowl here and another dog bowl there, and pour both bowls full of dog food. And one of those dogs, it would run over there, and it would, it would eat up its food real fast, and then all of a sudden it would run over to the next bowl and start eating the other one, you know. Well, that appetite of that dog was, was so much that it, it couldn't just get enough out of its bowl. It had to go over here and get the bowl over here, too. And the poor old other dog was sitting there like, Hey, don't eat my food. And I'm standing there one day when it was doing that, and I thought to myself, Dog, just jump over there and get him, you know. 
Get him real good. Well, see, that's the problem, though. Because, see, in our lives, our appetite, our fleshly appetite has gotten just like that German shepherd. We get what we want, and then we keep wanting more and more and more. And so we jump over there into the world's bucket, into the world's dog bowl, if you will. And we keep trying to get more and more and more until our appetite seems to be filled up. But then the next moment, we're hungry for it again. And we keep getting worse and worse and worse. No wonder our churches have fallen the way that they have. There are churches on corners, on just about every corner of a, of a city or town today. Why? Because churches are failing, and churches are breaking apart, and churches are going here and cropping up. Churches are going there and cropping up. Because people do want to hear the Word of God, but sometimes they don't want to hear the Word of God the way that God wants it to be heard. And so they'll go over here and start something. They'll go over there and start something. We don't see the great revivals now like we used to have years ago when hundreds and even thousands of people were saved. Where are those days you say, Preacher, is God still in control? Yes, He is, friend. And why then, preacher, do we not see those revivals? I can tell you why, friend. Because we as Christians have let down. We've quit working. We've got a in our nation today, we have uncontrollable national debt that just keeps on going and that they should just keep spending, spending, and spending. And one of these days, there is going to be no, nothing there. I mean, you know, during COVID, they were trying to, and, and still are, trying to get rid of coins and, and trying to get rid of the paper money that we use. And eventually in America, it will probably get to a point where we're not even using those denominations anymore. It will be, just be using plastic or, or we'll just walk up to somebody and say, well, it's this. Or there at the beginning of the tribulation, and all this is leading up to the mark of the beast, we'll have something there. If you're lost and you're still here, you'll have something imprinted in your wrist. Uh, on the top of your hand or in your wrist and all you do is just run by a little barcode and scan that thing and then there's your food and your provision for that month or that year. That's where it's all leading to, friend. And then we have uncurable epi epidemics in our world. What was it 15, 20 years ago when the AIDS virus hit in our world? Maybe a little bit longer than that. And they're still fighting against AIDS. What was it just here two or three years ago that there was a thing called COVID hit our world? And as it hit our world, it hit us hard. And as it hit us hard, uh, businesses closed down. I mean, they didn't just close during, during COVID. They closed down completely. Around here, I can guarantee you, some of you have already told me about this, that there were restaurants, there were little stores, country stores, that used to be in business, little gas stations. They're no longer in business anymore. People went out of business. And now you can't get nobody to work. I mean, they grumble and gripe because you're paying them $17 an hour, and they say, well, that's not enough for me. I want to be able to stand behind this counter and do nothing and get $20 an hour. Right? Can I get an amen out there somewhere? This is why I say we need revival today. We need that strength back in our churches. We need this, this gospel strength back in our neighborhoods and in our communities today so we can rebuild what God has built at one time. And then we have this unconcerned spiritual apathy. 
people just don't care anymore. We pass by people and we don't even think, we don't even ask them, are you saved? Do you know for sure if you're going to heaven? Because we act as though we don't care. But then we come to church and we sing these holy songs and, and we act as though while we're in church we, we are the most religious and most spiritual people there are. But then on Monday we get back out there in the world and you couldn't tell if we were a Christian or not. That's why we need revival, friend. If something doesn't change, our nation is going to be destroyed. I think it's already on the way to that. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we have so much sin in our world today. Psalm uh, chapter 9 and verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. All the nations that forget God. What then needs to happen? Well, God answers that question in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Where he says, if my people, if. You see, that little two-letter word is one of the biggest words in the entire English language, if. Notice he says, the people. He says, if the people. But then he doesn't just say the people, does he? He says, if my people. He's speaking to Christians here. He's speaking to those that have given their life to the Lord. He's speaking about Christian people, but he's also speaking about committed people. Those who are supposed to be committed. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would, please. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, I want us to look down to verse 1. In verse 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we're to present ourselves unto God. We're His. We're His to do with whatever how He wants to do. So He's talking about His people, a Christian people a people that should be committed, but also a people that should be concerned. You know, I mentioned a while ago this, this growing sense of apathy in our world. Apathy simply means I don't care. I don't care if you die and go to hell. I don't care if you're a sinner. I don't believe God anyway. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. And so I just don't care. And that's the way people are. And how sad it is today in our world that we have people that are so apathetic against God, so apathetic against the church, that they just really do not care anymore. Let me ask you a question, friend. Do you care? Do you care if souls are dying and going to hell? I really do. And the older I get, and the closer I get to the time of the Lord returning, I am more and more concerned than I have ever been. Friend, we need to be more concerned about this. And if we're going to have revival, if, as God says, if my people are going to have revival, then we need to be concerned. Amen? Amen. I came to this church and I began preaching to you about soul winning, about discipleship. And, and we need to work that friends. We need to work the plan that God has already laid out for us. His plan. Work His plan and do the things that He's asked us to do.
So that's the people today. But what about the procedure that he gives unto us? Well, look back in, in that chapter again. He says, again, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Notice he says that the first thing that we're to do is we're to humble ourselves. Humility and not haughtiness. We're to be humble people. A uh, pastor this morning in a Sunday school lesson was talking about uh, this man who was not worthy for the Lord to come into his house and he did not even feel worthy to walk into the Lord's house because God's house was so holy. It was such a place and he knew that God was so holy. But yet some of us walk into church sometimes heady and high-minded like, look at me, <laughs> you know, I'm somebody. Come shake my hand. Well, I'm going to tell you something, dear friends. Every one of us put our shoes on the same way. Amen? When you brush your teeth in the mornings, you brush your teeth either right way or left way. And if you're used to doing it the right way, when you try to do it the left way, it's a little confusing. <laughs> and your toothbrush slips out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you that. <laughs> oh, but friend... When we stand before God, God's not going to look at you just because you have something or you thought you are something. God's going to look at us the same way he looks at everybody, saved or lost. Is the blood applied or is the blood not applied? And if the blood is applied, he's going to look at us and say, redeemed, come on in, welcome. Woo! Boy, I tell you what, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And I can hear the angelic choir standing behind God just a singing, you know. And I mean, they're singing with their loud voices there in perfect harmony. And I'm thinking to myself, you reckon they'll let me sing in that choir, you know? I don't know. Maybe they will. Or maybe it's just reserved for the angels. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to that. But that's humility, you see. We humble ourselves before God, and we should even humble ourselves before each other. Because, dear friend... If not, but for the grace of God, any one of us could be less in our thoughts than someone else. So the procedure is to have humility. Secondly, we see that the next part of that procedure is prayer, not politics. Prayer. You see, sometimes in our world, we play politics with everything. And sometimes even in our churches, we play politics. And it shouldn't be that way, friend. It should always be with prayer. We should bathe everything in prayer, whether we are buying a new hymnal, whether we're singing a new song, whether we're doing something else in the house of God. It should be bathed in prayer, friend. Prayer is one of the most key essential tools that God has given unto us. And as I've been sharing on Wednesday night, as we've been looking at the tabernacle, listen, dear friend, prayer, we can now enter into the throne room of God ourselves. We don't have to have that high priest to walk in for us because he's already there. And he's making intercession for us, dear friend, the greatest high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's there talking on our behalf right now. Oh, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. And then we find something else. There needs to be a Christ-likeness, not worldliness. Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to be done here in just a moment. Acts chapter 11. 
And let's look down to verse 26. Actually, let's read verse 25 as well. Verse 25 says, uh, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him uh, unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christ-likeness. Why were they called Christians? Because they sounded and acted just like Christ did as he journeyed across the area there and he preached and he taught and he healed and he did things. I would love to know that someone calls me a Christian not because I'm the pastor of the church and not because I have to address myself sometimes to them when they say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm the pastor at Calvary Independent Baptist Church. I, I, I would love for them to know that I'm a Christian before I even say anything to them. That just in my demeanor, just in my speech, just in my dress that I wear, that they know that I am a child of God, that I'm not of this world, that I'm of the world to come, dear friend. Because it's God who owns me and not this world, not that old ugly devil. Revival. So we've looked at the people. We've looked at the procedure. I want to close out with us looking at the promise that God gives us. He says, then, if we do these things, he says, then will I do something for you. You see, there is a prerequisite that God has for us. He gives us the word and he tells us the instruction. And in this instruction manual, he shows us how to do it. And then he says, if we will do that, he says, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I, I do these things for you. And he begins to tell us all the things that he's going to do if you'll continue reading there in that chapter. But what will he do? First of all, he's going to answer the prayer. You've been praying so long, but now here comes the answer. And you've been looking for that answer, and God brings that answer to you. Then not only does he answer that prayer, but he also forgives our sins. And as he heals our sins and forgives those sins, he blesses us. And what an encouragement that is. Have you ever been forgiven, you know? Have you ever had a debt that you did not think you could pay? And someone came to you and said, you don't have to worry about it. It's forgiven. Oh, friend, what a relief. What, what a stress reliever that is. When someone comes to you and says, I don't care what you owe me. It's taken care of. Oh, what a blessing. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, you know, you owed a great debt. In fact, you owed the debt of your entire life. He says, but I took that debt upon me. And I paid it for you. And I wrote the check in my blood. Endorsed Jesus Christ in his blood. And he's forgiven us, friends. And all we have to do is accept that forgiveness. And do these things that he's asked us to do. He will answer with answered prayer. He'll answer with sins forgiven. And then something else he says will happen. And this is the only way this comes. He says, then I'll bring revival in your land. I'll heal your land. So there's two keys for revival. Praying to the Lord and sins forgiven. That's what it takes to have revival. 
if we in our church or individually we are going to have revival, it will only come because we pray properly. We pray the way that God says. In fact, he even tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means prayer continually and the right type of prayer. He says, and then sin's forgiven. Now, how do you know about the sins? Well, because when you pray, he, he convicts you of those sins, those things in your life. And that's what the next few moments of this service is about. It's about this place right here, the altar, where we come and we come and confess our sins before a holy, righteous God that God, through His Holy Spirit, has convicted us of. And we get those things right. And as we pray and as we get those sins forgiven, and then God says, Revival will come to your heart, friend. He'll lift you up and He'll strengthen you like nobody ever has. And that's revival. And honestly, friend, that's why I said at the very beginning of this lesson that we all need revival every single day. So what about you? Are you ready for revival? I'm going to be honest with you. I am. I love to get up here in this pulpit, and I love to preach. I love being a pastor. I love working in the church. But I can tell you, dear friends, it gets hard sometimes. It gets monotonous sometimes, and I need revival. Amen? And you do the same thing in your life. We need revival. And without doing these things that God has commanded us to do, there will not be revival in our church. There will not be revival in your lives. There will not be revival in your homes. There will not be revival in our community. There will not be revival in our state. There will not be revival in this United States of America. There will not be any revival at all. And I'm afraid that's what's happened to a lot of our churches out there. They quit praying for it. They quit asking for forgiveness of their sins. And that's why we do not see revival anymore. Because God is hearing, but God is not doing anything because we've not done what He said. So are you willing today... Are you willing today to do what God asks you to do and come to the altar and get things right with God? I'm going to ask everyone to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Musician coming, song director coming. Someone once asked, Preacher, what does it take to bring revival? Well, I've just given you what the Scripture tells us it takes to bring revival. And you and I, dear friend, we must seek it. We must seek it because we need it. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Pray for me that God brings revival to my heart. And I pray for you that God brings revival to your heart, friend. That's all what God wants us to do. Now, as God speaks to your heart, I want you to listen. And then I want you to come to this altar if you believe that, friend. And just trust in God. Fathers, we come before your throne of grace today. We're blessed and thankful. Father, that you are in the forgiving business. Lord, that you do point out our sins. But, Father, you don't beat us in the head with it. You don't condemn us in, in this world with that. But, Father, you show us the great need that we have to get these things right. And, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to show us these things in our lives. 
Help us to be removed from the, the false truth of this world. And, Father, come back to the truth of your word. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory, Lord. Forgive us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Sister Heather, if you would come. I'm going to ask you to look this way. What number of invitation I think that they've picked out. 133, if you would get your hymnal. 133. As she begins to start playing that song, and as you begin to start singing, as God has spoken to your heart, I'm asking you to come, friend. I'm asking you to come to this altar and bow and just speak to God. Just be honest with God. Be honest with God about what's going on in your life, the struggles that you're facing, the troubles and trials that you're facing. Just come and tell God that. And let God answer your prayers as we sing. a sweet, sweet blessing to know that he's done these things for us so we can live with him. Friend, we cannot go to heaven in the spiritual state that we're in now. The only way we can go to heaven, dear friends, of course, is to be saved, but we must be in the way that God wants us to be. You see, when we get to heaven, we're going to receive a glorified body. And as we receive that glorified body, friend, the things, the sins, and the cares of this world cannot go into that glorified body because it's going to heaven, and sin cannot enter into heaven. So we must get these things right here, and we must really serve God and really love Him. Friends, I hope and pray that today's lesson will be a journey, the start of a journey to get back to God the way that we need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your blessed throne of grace, we thank you for loving us. Oh, Father, thank you so much for forgiveness. For the sweet peace that it brings into our heart as we know, Lord, that you have sought us out. And, Lord, that we have sought you as well. Lord, you didn't just meet us in the middle, Father. You met us all the way. And, Lord, I thank you for that. 
I thank you for these, Lord, that have come today to the altar and, Lord, began to make some things right in their heart and their life. And, Lord, it is, is my desire, Father, for that very same thing. Lord, as we, as a church, Lord, as we move forward for you, I ask you, Lord, to help us be strong, but be faithful people, Lord. To be committed to you and the work of the church. To be dedicated to you and, and the work here that is laid out before us. And Father, help us to grow, Lord, in a spiritual way. But Father, help us to grow in, an, in, in a number way as well. So that we can do more things for you and honor you even more. Lord, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless each one of you.